0: Welcome to the weekly sermon by White Sulphur Baptist of Georgetown, Kentucky. We hope that you find this resource encouraging and helpful. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. But we would love to see you in person on Sunday morning at 1030 AM. Thanks again for tuning in. Good morning, White Sulphur. It's good to see you all. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate the enthusiasm. I like that. Uh, It's good to see you guys. Thank you for being here. If you volunteered uh, with Kids Camp, especially thank you for being here because I am sure you are tired. Uh, that, is, that is a hard week, but a good week, a week that we definitely uh, want to lift up in prayer as we continue to think about what next year might look like and uh, how everyone might be able to get involved. That was such a great week where we were able to uh, reach kids in our community, especially for, from some specific neighborhoods that otherwise uh, may not have heard the gospel. So that was a great opportunity for us. As a church, now, if you 're new or if you 're visiting with us, then uh, you 're jumping in on the last week of a series going through the psalms so we 've called this the Summer of Psalms, Songs for Life. Uh, again, this is the last week that we 're going to be in that series uh, and the reason we 've done this is because we 've said that as we look through the psalms and study them, they address every area of life, they address every emotion that a Christian a person might experience as they live from victory to sorrows and suffering and rejoicing all of those things are captured in the psalms they are laid out for us in the psalms and so we've decided to spend a summer and go through them and prepare our hearts going into the holiday season after this week starting next week we'll be back in the gospel of mark and we'll be picking up in chapter eight we're going to finish that out in the fall so i am looking forward to the next few months of preaching with you as a church family all right, Father, thank you so much for a morning where we are able to worship you. Thank you for providing a place for us, providing an environment where we can worship uh, safely, where we can worship comfortably with air conditioning and heating and, and things like that. Father, you are abundantly good to us in ways that we don't deserve. I pray that we, will, we are able to take a moment this morning and, and just kind of be still and meditate on your goodness like the Psalms teach us. To do, be still and and contemplate the ways in which you have been good to us individually, through salvation, sending your Son to die in our place for the penalty of our sins, but also collectively as a people, of a group, an assembly, of the redeemed. How you've been good to our church and will continue to be good to our church, Father. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so we're going to be in Psalm 107. I apologize, there's no graphic this morning. I had a a lot going on this week and a couple things fell through the cracks, so that's just the way it happens. But again, uh, Psalm 107, go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles or you have a phone or a tablet, whatever you might be using. I'm not too concerned about that. I just want you guys to be engaged with us as we go through the scriptures together. So this is a longer one, so I'm going to go ahead and get started in verse 1. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy." Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. He mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That's our passage. This morning, It's the longest psalm that we've covered in this series, and to be honest, I struggled preparing for this sermon because there's so much here that I wanted to talk about. There's so much here that I think is just good medicine for the soul that I I could preach eight weeks on just this psalm. There's so much to open up, but we don't have time for that right now, so we're going to focus on a few key themes through Psalm 107. And the very first and probably the most important is the goodness of God. What does it mean for God to be good? It means that God is the source of all that is good. That he is the spring from which goodness flows. He does not draw from any other source or spring. He does not need anything outside of himself to be good. He is the source of all goodness. God is a very unique goodness. that Nothing in all of the world compares to the kind of goodness that we find in God. He has eternally been good. He never learned goodness. He never had to transition from some other state to goodness. He is eternally good. He's never going to be anything but good, for there is no change to be found in God. God is supremely good. Nothing in all of creation even comes close to the magnitude of The quality of his goodness, even the Garden of Eden and its inhabitants, though they were good, they were not good in the same sense that God himself is good, eternally, perfectly, unchangeably good. This is the kind of goodness that we're talking about in Psalm 107, the very specific kind of goodness that is only ascribed to God. The goodness of God it, it permeates all of creation in really in one way or another. He's even good to those who are not blessing him or honoring him or being faithful to him. We see this in Matthew 5:43 through 48. This is Jesus talking, preaching actually in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is Perfect. And so what we see is that God's goodness extends to all people, all of creation, even the farmer that is evil, that will spend the rest of his life robbing the glory from God for all that he has and all that he's accomplished. Even that farmer will be supplied by God with the rain that he needs, the sun that he needs to grow his crop and sustain his livelihood, that God is good to this person for decades, even though God can receive or will receive nothing in return from this person. Why would he do that? Because he's good. He chooses to be good, even to those who are not good in return. Romans 5, 6-8 through says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were lovable, he loved us. Before we were good, he was good to us. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is the kind of goodness that flows from his very essence. And what we're starting to get to is we're starting to get to grace. That when God is good to those who don't deserve it, that's called grace. Grace, When it is unmerited favor, that is the grace of God, which flows out of the goodness of God. So that's the main theme that we have to capture out of Psalm 107, that God is good. The goodness that is uniquely His, that is supremely His for all time, eternally His. And the second, really, is this idea of the redeemed and the gathered. So in verse 2 and 3, and then in verse 32, we see these themes. And it's kind of a bookend. It starts off at the beginning, and then it's brought up again at the end. And so everything in the middle is important. And that's kind of like a Hebrew um, literary device that's being used there. We need to capture that. So what we see is that the gathering of Christians is not only what God does. It says that he redeems them and then he gathers them. That's what he does. But it's also an expected desire of Christians to gather with each other once they have been redeemed. God is going to bring Christians together as a family when he redeems them. Another way to put this, we could say it this way. Another way to put this is this. um, That once you are saved... A strong evidence of that work in your life, of that being born again, is your desire to be with God's people and to be with God in worship. That's a a good evidence that that change has actually taken place in your life. Now, don't hear me say that going to church saves you. It doesn't. We don't want to get those backwards, okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that a Christian will have a desire to go to church, and they'll know when something's missing, that there is a new love that is given to us. And so with those kind of laid out, the foundation laid for the rest of our time this morning, it brings us really to our first point. And we find it in verses 4 through 9, and that's that God's goodness satisfies. God's goodness satisfies the longing of a soul. It says, Some wandered in desert places, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And so there's there's people in the room that have been traveling through desert places that they're in that season of wondering, how am I possibly going to be sustained through this? There's people wondering, where, where is the Lord that I know I so desperately need, that maybe they've been facing trials and sufferings, and they're just thirsty for that communion with the Lord, for that communing with Him, for that being close to Him, for His righteousness and for His goodness. It's even in those moments and seasons that the goodness of God will meet us It will fill you with the knowledge of his love for you. That's a promise from Psalm 107 that we hang on to. That though I'm walking through a desert of a season in life, though things are not going the way that I want them to go, whatever that may look like, that God will sustain you and bring you to the city where you can quench that thirst. It's what's in those deserts that you cling to the promises of Psalm 107. But there's a flip side to this. Now, what if... What if life is actually going really well? Like, what if you've got the the job that you want, the house that you want, the spouse that you want, maybe the kids that you want, maybe everything on your list is getting checked off. All of these good gifts coming from God, all of these things that you want, life is just going really well, and yet, you know that there's something missing. You have these good things, and yet when you look out the window in the morning, maybe making some some coffee for yourself, maybe driving down the street on the the way to work, and and you kind of just let yourself have that moment of reflection, you know that there's still a longing, that there's still a thirst in your soul, that something is still missing. And it's possible that amid all of those good gifts from God that we've actually lost sight of the gift giver. Because God gives good gifts as a way to redirect our attention back To himself, like on Christmas morning, when I give my kids presents and they open them up and they tear up the wrapping paper, they go running out of the room, there's like no thank yous or anything, right, because they're really excited and hyped up about Christmas. A lot of times we're like those kids on Christmas morning, we forget to turn around and thank the one who has given us those things. We forget to return to the God who is good, not just his good gifts, We leave that part out, and yet our soul knows that something is missing. C.S. Lewis famously wrote that if nothing in this world can satisfy us, that would seem to indicate that we were created for something outside of this world. So we get all of these good, practical, physical, tangible gifts, right? And yet we're not satisfied. We get all the things that we could possibly want. Maybe it's money, career, maybe it's fame, uh, maybe it's reputation, whatever it may be. We achieve those things, and yet our soul is not satisfied until it finds its rest in God himself. Not just what he can do for us, not just what he has done for us, not just what he can give us. So you can be drowning in the gifts of God, but if your first love is not God himself, you've lost sight of what's most important, the thing that actually will satisfy the soul. John 6, 35, this is Jesus talking. He says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says you actually need him to be satisfied. You need that relationship with the Lord. You need to commune with the living God to find satisfaction in this world, to be satisfied, to no longer hunger or thirst. Matthew 5, 6, again, Jesus Is preaching, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So we have these promises across scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, from the mouth of Jesus, saying that those who are hungering for these things will not be turned away. There is enough for them and they will be satisfied. And so whether you're in the desert of trials or you're actually in the desert of of gifts and having lost sight of the gift giver, you can be satisfied in Christ. This brings us to our second point this morning. This is verses 10 through 22. God's goodness revives the heart and it renews the mind. God's goodness revives the heart and it renews the mind. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, out of the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them. He delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man." And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of all his deeds in songs of joy. In songs of joy. Let them tell of his deeds in songs of joy. That's what we have the opportunity to do every Sunday morning. We get to come and gather and we are given the opportunity, the privilege to tell of what the Lord has done in in history, throughout scripture, but also in our lives, in our world, and in our church. We get to sing of these things. It is God's goodness that caused him to provide a way for people to be saved from their sins, reconciled to him, and welcomed as children of God. He didn't have to do that. Man was rightfully sinful and condemned when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. He he was not bound to provide a way of reconciliation. It would have been just of him to just be done with the whole thing in that moment. And yet, his goodness extends grace and mercy and love to those who are no longer Lovable to those who do not deserve these things from him. And then he goes, even beyond reconciliation, to adoption. Welking, welcoming us home uh, to be his children. This kind of family that we are brought into is so much more than just a, a legal declaration of being freed. It's, you're free, and I'll see you at Christmas. It's free, and then you get to come over for Thanksgiving dinner because you're family now. That's what he welcomes us Into, You see, without the virgin birth, without his sinless life, his death on the cross in our place, without his resurrection, on that third day, all of us would be sitting in darkness, doomed to eternal death with a heart cold as stone. So you and I, apart from the goodness of God, are hopelessly lost. We needed Jesus to come. We needed this plan of redemption and salvation that had to happen, otherwise we are out of luck And that would have been the end of the story. But like Romans says, that at the right time, the goodness of God sent the Son of God to die for the enemies of God. That would be you and me. His grace, his goodness extending out to a lost and dark world. It is his goodness that gives us a new good mind, a new and good heart with new desires. Romans 12 says that he renews the mind, that we experience a renewing of the mind. So not only are we no longer fools lost in our sin, we actually become wise because we submit ourselves to the design, to the commandments of Christ. And he knows best for how we should be living. And so he revives the heart. He renews the mind. He creates a new person when you give your life to Christ. This brings us to our third point this morning. This is verses 23 through 32. God's goodness preserves us through trials. God's goodness preserves us through trials. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. You see, Psalm 107, really, we could break it down into just two categories if we really wanted to simplify things. There are the trials that we have brought upon ourselves through foolishness and through sin, through deceiving others, through evil. And we bring those sufferings upon ourselves. And he is good and he is gracious to save us from those. It says his steadfast love reaches out to people. It says that we are to sing and praise him for his steadfast love. Remember that phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord. That's one word in Hebrew, hesed, right? And it's very specific. This is God in the way that he loves his people. It's covenantal love. It's steadfast love. It's eternal love. It's a love unlike any other Kind of love. That's what we're talking about here. So we have this kind of love that reaches into the messes that we make through our sin and through our foolishness. But then, this last example, verses 23 through 32, we see that his love reaches us when things just happen. These guys were were just going out on a boat, They they were going out to probably either fish or reach another port to do some kind of trade. They were just working. They were just living their lives, just like a lot of us. And and something horrible starts to happen. A storm comes. This second trial is kind of like a storm. This second category, these storms fall upon our lives. And and it's not that we could possibly summon this storm. It's not that we did something to trigger this storm. It's not that uh, God is punishing us through this storm. Sometimes storms just come. Because we live in a fallen world until Jesus comes back. And sometimes that's just the way that it is. And so these people, they're, they're frightened and they need the Lord. They don't understand what's happening. And sometimes we don't understand what's happening. Why is this storm hitting my life? Why has this tragedy struck? And so sometimes it is this way with trials and suffering in our life. And we have this temptation as Christians to always try and link the bad things to maybe something bad that I did. Right, like maybe, uh, maybe I'm facing this. Maybe this didn't work out. Maybe my plans fell through because I messed up, because I didn't pray enough, because I didn't tithe enough. Maybe it was because of the way I told that lie last week. Maybe it's because of the thing I looked at on my computer when I knew no one was around. Maybe it's something like that. That's not always the case. We live in a cursed world, in cursed creation. There are natural disasters that happen. And so I need you to hear something. I need you to hear what I'm going to tell you right now. That you are not responsible for what they did to you when that storm fell upon your life. It's not your fault that you lost that loved one. Sometimes storms just hit. This diagnosis is not God's punishment for some sin that you have committed. You're going to be given a new body. You're going to live eternally well and healed with the Lord. He's good and faithful to redeem those years that you lost to these things and to these storms. Some of you were just living life when the storm hit. And yet we cry out to God. That's the repeated pattern in Psalm 107. Right? You see, each one of these sections... Uh, the, the fool that's, that's lost in his uh, foolishness. The one who's lost to the, to the death grip of sin. Uh, these different examples. And each time they cry out to the Lord and he reaches down and he meets them. Where they are because he's good. He's faithful. He's there. And then our response. What does it say at the very end of this psalm? When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow... He pours out contempt on princes, means he's going to right the wrongs. The people that did these things, the evil people of the world, they don't go without justice. But he raises up the needy out of affliction, and he makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Verse 43, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider The steadfast love of the Lord. Whoever is wise will come back to Psalm 107 and realize that there are times when the things that I'm going through are my fault. And it's my sin that caused it. And there are times the things that I'm going through are the fault of other people's sin that has splashed upon my life. And there's times where the things that I'm going through are no person's fault. It's just the effect of living in a broken world. And if we start to categorize things like this, the world, life, sin, God, us, they all start to make a lot more sense. Nathan, you can join me at this time. We're going to end today by taking communion together. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But what I want to do is just remind you that at the end of service, we try to provide this time where you can respond to whatever um, God has laid upon your heart through his word. Maybe through Psalm 107 specifically. And I know that there's a lot of Christians in the room, but there's still a way for Christians to respond to God's word, right? We can respond in in repentance. Maybe God has revealed something to you in these moments. I need to repent of that. I need to take it to the Lord. I need to turn away from it, confess it, and be done with it. Maybe you're not a Christian in the room, maybe you're not sure. You can respond. I would love to have those conversations with you. Let's walk through that. Let's talk about what that looks like. You can join us in that moment. You can be part of the redeemed, the gathered church, the people of God this morning. And this is a wonderful opportunity for that. So we leave this time at the end of services, but we're going to take communion together. Now, communion is for Christians. Communion is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, who submit to him as Lord and Savior of their life. And so if if you're not there yet, or you're not sure, then I would just ask that you would observe what is happening here. Maybe your way of responding this morning is to take a moment and ask God to reveal something to you through the scriptures I'm about to read. It's actually best if you don't participate if you're not a Christian. Paul's very clear that, that some people have actually even hurt themselves, made themselves sick by taking communion improperly. And, and not being a Christian is just one way of doing that. So in this moment, if there's unrepentant sin in your life, if there's habitual sin in your life that is still unconfessed, that you have still not dealt with, if there's division between you and a brother and sister in Christ, then you need to take care of that before you move forward with partaking in communion. You can do that right now. So there's multiple ways to respond at the end of a message at our church. But now we're going to take communion together. So go ahead and take your cups. I know that they can uh, be difficult to open, so I'll give you just a second to do that. Maybe some of you have done it already. Paul, when he is writing to the Corinthian church, he gives them instructions. He is really the key text that we go back to for these times together. It's where he warns us about how to take it properly. Uh, And it's also where he explains to us what these things mean. It says that he received this instruction from the Lord. This is an, an ordinance. This is something to be obeyed. This is something that is very important to the life of Christians and the life of a church. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take the bread together. Talking about God's goodness from Psalm 107, I, I honestly couldn't find a more fitting time to take communion the whole psalm is talking about God's goodness to people who don't deserve it that's what we're remembering when we take communion together that there was the, the perfect God man that came from heaven who was perfectly sinless without blemish without flaw guilty of nothing died in the place of us that's goodness that's a practical expression of God's goodness and that's what we're reminded When we take the bread. And then Paul says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Isn't that exactly what Psalm 107 tells us to do? That we sing in the congregation, that we sing in the assembled people of God, and that we remind each other of what the Lord has done for us, that we continue to proclaim through preaching, teaching, singing, all of the things that the Lord has done for us. And then they go outside of these walls, into our neighborhoods and into our community, and we do the same thing. We proclaim The death of christ the gospel of jesus christ until he comes again so i'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed this morning father don't let this wear off when we walk out these doors i pray that you would just give us this burden to think about your goodness for at least the rest of the day. Don't let the enemy steal away what has been done this morning. Father, protect the seeds of the gospel that have been planted in the hearts of people. Father, we just lift you up. We are so thankful for what you've done for us. We're thankful also for who you are, that we worship a God of, that is so good that it cannot be captured through words. Father, help us to spend the rest of our lives getting to know your goodness in a deeper, more intimate way, but also resting in that goodness. I pray that this, what we talk about isn't just an intellectual exercise, but it moves from, from knowledge down into our hearts and is expressed in love towards you and towards your people. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Go in peace this morning.